Welcome to Beyond the Ocean. Here's a clip from today's guest. And really, we've used this term in the past where we call it a, a church to surfing. It is a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a sacred place from where we come from. And we're not trying to recreate the ocean for those of us who surf. You know, we're trying to create a complementary experience. But it could also be labeled as a gym for surfing, you know, where you can really work on your technique or your paddling, your drop-in, your turns, your barrel riding, whatever it might be. Uh, there's just no other environment like that where you can sort of have that level of enjoyment. So it's quite overwhelming. Would be If I was to put it into one word, overwhelming in a very positive way. Welcome to Beyond the Ocean, the podcast exploring surf parks and the impact of technology on the future of surfing. We speak with technology leaders, investors, operators, and surfing legends to explore this exciting new movement. I'm your host, Chris Klusner. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Beyond the Ocean. We're joined today by Damon Tudor. Damon is the CEO of Urban Surf, which was rated in the 2021 Surf Park Awards as the most desirable surf park anywhere on the planet. How exciting is that? Damon has led the organization since 2019 and successfully led the group through construction and launch and successful operation from their Melbourne facility. They're now working on their second location in Sydney, Australia. Damon is an experienced CEO and general manager with more than 25 years of experience in a range of consumer-focused industries, including with work experience from companies like African and Eastern and NRMA in Australia. Without further ado, please join me for this wide-ranging conversation with Damon Tudor, CEO of UrbanSurf. Thank you, David, for agreeing to come on the show. Great to be here, Chris. If you could give us a little bit about your background and what you do, that would be great. My name is Damon Tudor. I'm the CEO of uh, Urban Surf, Australia's first surf park developer. A little bit about me and my background. It's a little bit lengthy, but my origins are that I... uh, I actually grew up um, in Sydney in the, in the western suburbs, you know, learned to surf through my father taking me to Narrabeen on weekends when he was working at his second job. That's sort of my, my origins, I guess, of where it all began. My original career aspirations actually were I wanted to join the Air Force, be a fighter pilot, and that was something I was very passionate about as, as, as a young fellow. I grew a little bit too tall to fit into a cockpit. Being six foot seven doesn't really allow for any type of fit into a fighter cockpit, you know, but it was always something I wanted to do. So I was a little bit uh, devastated when I grew a few inches beyond the point um, as a teenager. Yeah, I spent a few years um, working in hospitality, doing a bit of traveling and kind of found my, my passion for business and marketing and things like that. And that's really where my origins were from a career perspective. I, uh, I spent um, a number of years working in FMCG, in fast moving consumer goods, um, everything from you know, tobacco to alcohol to, you know, anything to do with consumer goods and services that I, I really enjoyed. And, and one of my first change roles was actually in, in an insurance company in Australia called NRMA, where this was going back 20 years ago, where the role was really about turning the business around. Um, we went through a, a pretty considerable change exercise, and that was where I got a bit of passion for really challenging tasks where, you know, there was a business in distress or in a bit of trouble. And 
that sort of triggered something I, I really enjoyed, which is doing turnarounds and things like that. So I then um, got approached after that role to move over to the Middle East. And I worked in Dubai as part of a, a property development company, actually, for a, a short period. Then we were hit by the, the global economic crisis. That caused a bit of mayhem, particularly in the Middle East, as around the world. And then, um, yeah, I, I finished up with that and actually ended up working with a, an alcohol distributor over there called African and Eastern, which is owned by Anheuser Bush, ABI, as we know it, basically the world's biggest brewer. Amazing experience. You know, that was sort of 10 years of my life. Had both my kids overseas. And then eventually we made the call that we wanted to come home to Australia, make sure the kids had their roots back home. Yeah, we made the call to move back. So funnily enough, I actually had planned to come back to Australia, spend some time, maybe six, 12 months, just take a break, bit of surfing, um, just settle back in because it had been a decade since we lived in Australia. And then I was approached by our, our board at the time of Urban Surf to come and help out with the, um, the Urban Surf project. And that's where it really where it all began. So the business at the time was, was going through some growing pains, you know, um, that classic shift from a startup into an enterprise sort of business. There was a few challenges around budgets and project and, and various things. My mandate in coming in was to really set up all of the, the commercial marketing people, the operational side of the business, everything to do to get the, the park up and running. When I joined, you know, I still recall the first day of getting there and it was a very big muddy pit in Melbourne and there was still a fair bit of work to do. And, you know, there was a delay in the opening and things like that. It was weather affected. There was a numerous challenges. And basically in 2019, in my first year back in Australia, I was a FIFO worker, fly-in, fly-out worker from Sydney to Melbourne on a weekly basis, living in shared accommodation um, in Tullamarine to get this project up and running. So um, it was quite the journey from those early days to where we are now. But, you know, I still have uh, a lot of memories um, and, and some great learnings from that initial experience when I started. That's incredible. I mean, it, what a transition from African and Eastern, established company. Looks like they have you know, a couple hundred employees to shared accommodations, traveling in and out to a muddy pit. What was that like in the early days, in the development days? Yeah, for, for me personally, look, it was a massive transition because I've come from 20 years of sort of corporate life in, in different roles and, and really enjoyable roles. And then to come straight into an environment where it was, right, everything was hands-on, you're building things from scratch. There was a, things, a few things we had to catch up on. That was a big change. You know, I certainly learned a lot from that. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big transition. And, you know, it's one that you have to really prepare your mind for as well because you can easily get overwhelmed by the, the myriad of things to do and the detail you have to jump into sometimes. So uh, I've always been someone who enjoys rolling up the sleeves and sometimes you just got to get into the detail to get things done. Um, and even now, even Urban Surf today, you still have to have that entrepreneurial sort of view of the world, which is you've got to treat it as your own business. And, you know, obviously we represent a you know, some value shareholders, but you've really got to think about it as your own business, which means you're, you're in the detail and data sometimes whilst thinking about the strategy of where you're taking the business in the future and, and things like that. So big transition, you know, living in shared accommodation as an almost 50-year-old, there was a bit of a flashback to university days and things like that, which was different, but that was just what the project took. We had to be there. You had to be on the ground. You know, there was, there was a need to sort of develop it from the ground up. Did you think of surf parks initially and, and urban surf as an opportunity as a real estate opportunity? Was this more of a, hey, I, I love surfing and I want to connect with the industry? How did you think about surfing? Because it's evolved quite a bit and it's becoming really uh, something bigger than I think many of us 
assume the industry to be. So how did you think about approaching this opportunity in terms of what problem you were going to solve? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was really having gone through surfing, you know, my whole life and seeing that basically how the culture works and things like how accessible is it as a sport to non-surfers and things like that, all these types of things resonate in my mind. So I'd um, had some experience, not working in, but certainly riding wave pools. You know, in the Middle East, there's actually a Murphy's wave system in an emirate called Al Ain. Older tech now, you know, things have developed a bit since then, but still a lot of fun, still a great ride and all, all those sorts of things, you know, which, which has been fun. For me, um, you know, I never anticipated getting into the surf park industry, but obviously when the carrot got dangled, that, you know, it's one of those moments in your life when you realize you're probably going to get asked to do this once in your career, you know, and if I was to knock it back, I don't ever want to look back and say, gee, I really maybe should have had a go at that, you know. So that's kind of the approach I took. It was just such a massive opportunity to create something and and work on something that was so new. The way I saw it, the, the problem to solve was really, it wasn't so much from the development perspective. There's no doubt they're complicated projects. You know, it's really a, a big civil exercise when you're putting a, you know, a two hectare lagoon into the ground that just doesn't normally have waves falling on it. You know, so it's a really unnatural type of experience. But for me, it was more around that customer experience. And that for me is what I'm incredibly passionate about. So, and that links to my background as well, where A, creating something that a core surfer will think is credible, authentic, and just a damn good product. You know, that that's sort of step one. But the other side of it is being able to open it up for people that normally wouldn't access surfing or find it a bit intimidating or or just felt it was a bit too hard. It's it's that type of thing I saw as the problem to solve. And, you know, in Melbourne in the period we've been able to trade, that's been something that's been really inspiring. When you see some of the smiles on people's faces who've never done it before and they, they're in an environment where, okay, it's a bit more comfortable. It's not intimidating. It's welcoming. And you can change different setups for people to suit their needs. You know, that's really exciting. I've seen that particularly in, you know, in things like our adaptive surfing and the various charity groups that we've worked with, where you just see the smiles on the faces of people have had the experience. That to me is kind of the buzz. That's the problem to solve is how you can create that in in an environment. That's amazing. And I'd, I'd love to use that segue to tell the audience and hear more about Urban Surf in Melbourne and the original facility. We'll talk more about the growth facilities and the new projects to come, but how would you describe Melbourne to someone who's never seen the videos, never seen the YouTube? What's it like? Great question, isn't it? You know, there's one thing that always stands out is that it is quite overwhelming when you see it for the first time. You park at the car park, you walk through, there's a big open sort of tunnel area through the container set up and you see the waves for the first time. You do have that wow moment. And even now when I go, it's sort of like, you know, just you have to sort of shake your head a little bit and remind yourself of, of what's being created and, and what you have. How would I describe it? You know, it's the place where uh, you look through it and you still can't believe you've got these waves rolling along. It, it's quite overwhelming in terms of the scale. It, it is a large lagoon. You know, we compare it to a cricket ground or a football pitch, you know, depending on which part of the world you're from. It's two hectares. That's 20,000 square metres. It's a big space. So I, I think the scale of it kind of overwhelms you initially. And then when you go in, you realise it's actually quite a relaxed and fun vibe. You've got the music playing. You know, you've got the staff who walking around, having conversations with guests, asking how the day is, talking about the waves, the session, what they're looking forward to. It's like a very chilled out surf experience, as if you're with your mates on the coast, you know, uh, going in for your session. And even more so, what you find is that 
certainly where I live, you know, I live in um, in Narrabeen, you know, it can be quite a competitive break and, and lots of activity and it has that reputation. But the wave pool is different in that you're not really, you're not competing for a wave. You're not, you're waiting your turn. You're going to get at least a dozen waves in that hour session that you're in. And you find that the guests that we have, depending on the session type, are, are very relaxed about, all right, well, if you're in a cruiser session, everyone knows they're, they're, they're improving. So people are quite relaxed about, oh, no, have another turn. You missed that wave, go for the next one. And that environment is, is a lot of fun. You know, you do have that surf pool pressure component where you're right there with a group of mates in a session or someone's on the wall a couple of metres away and they're watching you. So if you if you kook it, you know, <laughs> you're going to get heckled a little bit. So there's that sort of fun element as well. But at the same time, it's a great training ground, you know. So for me, it just fulfills so many of these elements that of the fun, the smiles, the the goofball sort of that we all have in us to, to have a bit of a fun with surfing and and really, we've used this term in the past where we call it a, a church to surfing. It is a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a sacred place from where we come from. And we're not trying to recreate the ocean for those of us who surf. You know, we're trying to create a complementary experience. But it could also be labelled as a gym for surfing, you know, where you can really work on your technique or your paddling, your drop-in, your turns, your barrel riding, whatever it might be. Uh, there's just no other environment like that where you can sort of have that level of enjoyment. So it's quite overwhelming. Would be If I was to put it into one word, overwhelming in a very positive way. That's awesome. I can't help but think about the gym subcultures that form. You know, you compare it to a gym and you'll have like the really big people, the people that like lift heavy and then the aerobic folks and the newcomers and the intro to yoga class. So you have all these subcultures that form. What's it been like in Melbourne with the subcultures forming? Are you getting like locals or do you have regulars? Like how does that come together in terms of consumers that come back and and for what purpose? Yeah, so there's definitely some subcultures there. We have a very passionate and loyal group of members that come with us. There's a couple of social media groups that have formed up. You know, there's an as a Urban Surfers Melbourne. And, you know, we, we actually value hearing the feedback from those guys because, you know, they'll tell it to you straight. And that's a very surf culture type of thing to do. You know, you'll, you'll find out pretty quickly whether someone doesn't like something. And that's great. You know, you, you can just get the information and change and adapt quickly. So you definitely got those regular members. You know, I've got some members that I've had personal interactions with that I speak to and they're just thrilled about having this. And oh, well, I remember one member talking about a members night we had a few months back and he was saying, you know, I just had this long hiatus from surfing and getting back into it through this sort of experience because it's easy, it's convenient, it allows a bit more time in the day has been like a, an epiphany for him. You know, it's just changed his outlook, you know, and, and that's fantastic to hear that sort of feedback. So You've definitely got that sort of core culture and you've got, you know, there's some, there's some really good surfers amongst this crew. You know, you've got some very experienced guys and, and they just love it, you know, and they, they're able to work on specific things. You've got the, the guys from the, well, the guys and the, the girls, I should say, from, you know, the coast that will travel up to Tullamarine. You know, we have a good uh, loyal Torquay sort of and, and bay based crowd that comes up, which is fantastic. And that's actually really important to us because, we do want to be part of the surfing culture. We want to be part of board riders and grassroots and all these types of things. That authenticity is just so crucial. But then you've also got the crowd that might have come for a first time to try it or never surfed before or done a lesson. And they're emerging growth potential in that they're transitioning through the stages. You know, we have a progressive lesson program where you, you might start in the bays with the whitewater, just like at the beach normally, but you might then progress as you get better through your cruiser session, intermediate. And there's quite a few people now coming through that because you've got this concentrated environment where you can learn and progress really quickly compared to the ocean and so there's a really an emerging sort of crowd that we're seeing come through 
we're happy that we've got a, a good female participation. You know, it's about 25% at the moment. There's definitely room to improve on that, which is great. And we've promoted that too because we're trying to create this environment where it's a comfortable space for anyone to come in and try it. And also the other exciting part is, you know, the grommets, seeing the kids come through, big focus on school groups. And, you know, some of these kids are just absolute treaders. You know, it's fantastic to watch. And the rate of progression that we're seeing just on that consistent sort of wave experience has been phenomenal. Yeah, so the beauty of it is you don't have one subculture. You've got such a range and such a diverse range as well, which is that's the really exciting part because everyone experiences it their own way. That's amazing and so cool to hear about. How does that work? You mentioned consumers and certain consumers coming back again and again. How do you approach loyalty or consumer relationship management so folks can come back and fit into the same session or have the same locker? I'm sure those little things add up to overall an experience where you feel welcome or like you're a guest. How does Urban Surf approach making people feel welcome? Yeah, a big part of it's certainly in in the team we have. That's number one for me. You know, you can't have good customer experience without good employee experience. You know, obviously we'll talk about COVID later, but you know that's been really challenging because people are understandably people have gone through a lot with regard to the, the pandemic and everything like that. But first and foremost, it's about the team selection. You know, if we don't have the right team in place that can engage, be excited and be passionate about what they're delivering, you're never going to have that customer experience. That's absolutely step one. A lot of our staff have personal relationships and connections. And when I go to visit, you know, because I'm based in Sydney, so it's a visit to Melbourne now as opposed to what I was doing in 2019. When I walk into the doors, I just see that friendly interaction between the team and our members and our guests. People know each other. You know, there's just that local crowd almost, which is great. So that, that's an important thing. We do try to make efforts when we can. Communication with guests, we might give them a call to check in, see how they're doing. You know, noting they haven't come back. Hey, you just want to make sure you can use your sessions in that month. We'll check in with them. We have a, a member email. We have member events, you know, special offers from time to time. It's just those sorts of things. I think there's a lot more for us to do in that space because I want to make sure that we have a, a really strong community and, and that crowd that feels like this is their home, you know, for our members and those guests that come more than once, you know, I, we want them to feel like, oh, this is like, that's a surf, you know, let's pop down there and have another session, have a bit of fun, grab a drink, whatever it might be. We're trying to create almost a second home you know, for surfing for, for everyone. And that's really the, the aim of, I guess, what we want to achieve in the future. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And I think it's, frankly, a bit of a blind spot for new developers trying to enter in and build their first surf park. There's so much focus on digging the hole, putting the concrete in the ground, making the wave, but you forget that it's actually the work begins once the wave starts operating. And creating a surf community is not easy to do, but you guys are doing it and you're growing. And and wow, I'd love to transition and talk more about some of the new projects. Yeah, so Sydney's really exciting. It's one we've been we've worked on for a while. We did get delayed because of the COVID situation last year. We had actually intended it to be probably a year ahead. But when the first sort of shutdown happened in Australia, which was back in March last year, it did have an impact in terms of, oh, okay, let's be sensible about this and where we're going to take the business forward. We'd only just opened Melbourne. There was so many learnings. And because of the, some of the cost overruns from, you know, when I, that I got brought in to resolve, you know, obviously we had to stabilize that, that business and get it right. You know, that was step number one. Before we get too lofty in our ambitions, let's just get the basics under control. That's what we, we aim to do. So Sydney was 
always the, the next key item on the list, you know, biggest population center in, in Australia, Sydney Olympic Park, the location is that is very central in terms of Sydney. It's not coastal, you know, it, it is inland. But when you look at the catchment surrounding the area, say within an hour drive, you're looking at over 4 million people. It's from our perspective in Australia, that, that's a big number. You're talking to a whole range of different demographics. So if you think about surf beaches in a city, if you go to Avalon, which is in the northern part of northern beaches in Sydney, down to the Royal National Park, which is on the southern side, across to Penrith, which is inland, you're capturing all those areas that are within an hour drive to that location. It's a smaller land area than what we have in Melbourne, but the buildings will be constructed to suit that. The lagoon is a touch smaller, but we don't anticipate any difference in terms of wave quality or capacity. Yeah, we're actually due to start that in the next week or two. There's been a few hiccups with COVID changes to rules with construction, which we're navigating, but we are really on the cusp of putting up the hoarding and the fence and uh, starting to dig some holes. So it's really exciting. That one, you know, we'll have basically a two-story structure. We're looking at a couple of F&B options for it. We're looking at the whole cabana setup, event spaces, co-working arrangements and offices and things like that. So really the whole gamut, uh, kids' play area, a leisure pool will be built in there. So in Melbourne, we we focused probably on the, on the core, I guess, of the surf pool. Sydney will embellish that a bit further. And we're going to use some of the learnings from that to build back into Melbourne as well. So, yeah, really exciting, that one. And again, you've got, you know, the focus will be on making sure we build a strong connection with our colleagues in the surf industry in Sydney. We're talking with Surfing New South Wales. We actually received a grant from the New South Wales government to build a surfing centre of excellence there, which is great. So all these types of things are really good pieces to build into the overall story. And then we want to make sure we have a very strong community focus. So as we've seen in Tullamarine in Melbourne, getting the non-surf crowd into an experience that they feel is more accessible than it was before is a key driver for that location at Olympic Park because you are talking to a much broader range of demographics potentially because of the catchment that's around us. So, you know, look, I could talk about it all day. It's very exciting. I'm pretty amped about it and can't wait to get it rolling for me. You know, from Narrabeen, it's just a, it's a 45-minute drive. You know, it's something that's very accessible for us on the northern beaches, for example. You know, so I think it'll be a real, really popular location. It's so exciting, and congratulations on the progress thus far, and we're all patiently waiting for continued updates as things continue to evolve. It's so exciting. What does it mean now that, imagine in a few years' time, more projects underway, does this start to change what it means to be a surfer in Australia? I mean, surfing is the national sport. I spent a month in Australia, that, so obviously I'm an expert. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, many people surf and surf well. It's something that people take very seriously, the, the board rider clubs, the beach experience. It's very authentic and localized. What does it mean to be a surfer in, in a few years' time when Urban Surf continues to open these amazing facilities? I think the basis is still pretty much the same. And one thing from my perspective in, in working with Urban Surf is that we're not trying to take over or change. You know, we, we see ourselves as we want to take a humble sort of place, the entire surf sort of culture that exists in Australia. There's no desire to sort of transform the world. It's about creating new experiences, different ways of surfing more, making it accessible to that non-surf sort of market. That to me is, is really what the core is about. And I think there'll be change and development in the industry as we go. You know, we see it in our conversations with our surf industry partners where we're talking more and more about, oh, wow, okay, well, we've got to think about a wetsuit and how it might behave in the chlorinated water at a wave pool. We've got to think about different board shapes and, and how can we play with different fin settings, whatever it might be from an 
a waveform perspective to get the most amazing experience out of it. You know, so those conversations are really exciting because it feels like we've been able to contribute to what is probably been seen as a fairly mature sort of industry in Australia into, wow, this is an exciting next step, but we never want to lose where we came from, you know, and that's really important. You know, I'll always be, I grew up in the ocean surfing and that's my deep, deep passion. You know, when I take my son out for a session before school in mornings, I just love being, you know, we just go to Warriorwood, for example, up the road from where I am, love the cliffs on each side, you know, waiting for the waves to roll in. That experience can never be taken away. I think all we want to do is create an additional value add sort of to add to that to say well there's also that you can do as well you can work on specific training or skills um, that you can take back to the ocean you know so that's kind of what i think where we want to take it i think we will see most likely a generation of surfers come through that or- origins are wave pools which will be really interesting so right so translating that then to the ocean i think we're going to see you know the quality of surfing improve there's no question but does that change fundamentally how people will enjoy the sport I don't think so. I think once you've had the taste of the wave pool, you naturally sort of want to gravitate to the ocean because that's a great experience. But I think it, they, they can coexist really well. To completely agree. It's exciting to hear about the progression related to the gear. I mean, it's, it's more than gear. I mean, surfboards, wetsuits, they've made huge leaps in the last 10, 15 years, but sort of plateaued generally in performance. And so that's exciting. Is there anything you can share about how you might work with surfboard manufacturers, fin companies, even wetsuit companies. What do some of those experiments look like? The COVID's probably, because we've been closed, you know, hard to believe we've been closed six times in Melbourne, would you believe, since we opened the place. There's definitely those conversations. I, I would love our, our industry partners, and I've said this to them openly, that to treat urban surf like a blank canvas. Guys, get in there. They've been in the industry a long time. They're tied deep into the culture. We want them to be part of that and help us sort of make sure we're fitting in the right way. So the conversations we've been having, you know, with, with shapers, you know, and we make sure we have a good focus, not only on the larger shapers, but also your local shapers. You know, it is about supporting that broader surf community. We've learned a lot about the boards. You know, there was a view at the beginning that low volume boards would be the right sort of solution. But what we're progressively finding is that it's probably a bit more volume. You know, you've got to think about how the rocker behaves, all these types of things in a wave pool is a little bit different. Definitely on the fin settings. So you've never had a lab environment like this one where you can test fins like you would any, anywhere you know so there's things like that that are developing and and i think we're going to see in time we'll actually see specifically tailored solutions for the wave pools particularly as they become more prominent right when you've got one it's like well it's a bit of a novelty when you're creating more there's definitely the opportunity to create tailored solutions for that you know for take the conversations with rip curl we have for example how is a wetsuit that's uh, really you know an important investment for a surfer in cooler water how does the stitching behave in chlorinated water over time, you know, and things like that. So these are all the sort of the tests we're doing and, and we're keeping an eye on that. And obviously using the wetsuits in our higher store as, as a case study, you see the frequency of use, how they're surviving. You just don't get that sort of intel from your regular surfer on the coast. You know, it, it is quite different in that sort of concentrated fashion, you know. So there's huge value in, in that way. Just transitioning a bit into what you've seen in terms of operational success. And I know it's been a challenging two years, opening and closing six times, I think you said. But when you are open and when you are operating, I think many people, many operators around the world look to Urban Surf as really the, the pioneer in how to run a really amazing surf park. And so if you were to share some lessons learned or some best practices for operators, 
that you've learned from Melbourne and what you might apply to Sydney in the future, what might some of those things be? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and overall, for me, it's that attention to detail. Let's think about the business we're in. You know, it's, it's a leisure slash sports sort of activity. You know, surfing inherently is probably considered a dangerous sport. You know, um, when you throw people into a lagoon, there's some real safety considerations you have to put in there. So for me, and look, I can be a little bit um, detailed with my thinking on these types of things, but certainly coming into prior to opening the park, I was very focused on that attention to detail of not only the experience of, you know, when you hear about urban surf and your progression of interaction with us from there, but more about, all right, what happens when you arrive You've got your board. You're about to get into the water. You know, so those safety aspects are, are absolutely crucial. That's probably the biggest sort of piece I can advise from an operational perspective for anyone to make sure they're across. We're fortunate in Australia that uh, rules around aquatic facility management, various operations that are comparable to us, you know, they're quite strict. Things around water quality, quite strict. You know, and I think that's a positive thing because you have to comply with these things and you have to make sure you're aligned. So the baseline is already there. Add to that, you know, we're really fortunate in that, you know, a number of the team come from a strong background where those considerations are really important. You know, we deliberately hired staff that think in that way. And you, you can't ever take that lightly. You know, that, and that's a real responsibility from a, a business's point of view, you know. So everything from the lifeguards, how they're trained, uh, rescue times if someone's in trouble, identifying a fall or a hazard or a trip or the way of behavior. All of these things were really key learnings. When we built Melbourne, where the wave finished or rolled or you know peaked, all of these things were key learnings we had we had to have. You know, we threw some crash test dummies over waves to see where they ended up. Did they hit the bottom? We had our our experienced staff in the water to to test things out and see how how it went. You know, where do the currents flow? Like you can't compromise on that attention to detail with the operational side. So I think that's probably the absolute number one thing from my perspective. At the same time, surfing and the sort of the, the lifeguard or the, the clubby culture, as we call it in Australia, sometimes don't interact. So another one is about how you find that fine balance between looking after that core surfer and with the experience they want to have whilst providing this very safe environment. Because we are a private facility, right? You're paying money to come in. It's not like going to the beach in a public place. So we have a tremendous responsibility to make sure we're looking after our guests in that way. And that's really important. you know. And as an industry, this is important for surf parks as well. Because if there is an incident where someone is hurt or something happens, it will affect us all, you know. So I, I take that very seriously in that I don't think we're necessarily, we haven't, it's not perfect and it will never be perfect. And we ever, if we ever think it is, we've been complacent and that's the wrong approach. But I think there's definitely a forum for us all to work together to improve the safety element, the experience, all those sorts of things, because it's just going to be good for the industry, regardless of which country you're in, regardless of the competitive environment. So that for me is probably first and foremost the, the biggest piece of, of that sort of success. We've dedicated a good chunk of the upcoming Surf Park Summit on that exact topic, and I wholeheartedly uh, am in support of safety conversations. A little more tactically, though, like, can you share a little bit just what does your team look like in terms of the safety side of the house? Are there folks dedicated to just the operational safety component? Is it part of the overall? general manager's responsibility. How do you delegate safety within the team on site? Yeah, absolutely. So one of our five values is safety, you know, so it's sort of inherent in the culture we're trying to develop. And look, we're a young company, right? So some of these areas are still up and coming. 
In the Melbourne park itself, you have a general manager. They have a team that works beneath them. So you have a, a customer experience manager. Uh, you've got someone who looks after sales and events. You've got an operations manager and a facilities manager. And then there's the HR support and things like that that we have just as, as a normal business would. The GM of the park is certainly the, you know, the focal point for the park around safety. There's definitely KPIs around that. Then there's the operations manager that works for the GM. So he is actually the closest one to the safety, the lifeguarding, and actually covers things like the surf academy, the, the lessons as well, which is relevant for that. So all staff that work in the park are trained from a pool lifeguard training perspective. Even I went through this as well. So really to make it part of that culture, you've got to all believe in it and be part of it. And where we possibly can is that we want all of our staff, regardless of your position, to go through that training so there's that general level of awareness and we take the approach of call it out if there's if there's an issue or you see something. You know, it's that, that classic sort of behavior. There's no, there's actually, behavior needs to be the point where you see something that might be a, an issue or a challenge or a risk, call it out, let's address it, you know, and, and that's really fundamental to what we do. We also use, you know, basic reporting systems through tablets, uh, the phone, whenever there's an incident or someone hurts themselves or even a close call, it gets reported, gets recorded. We look at it, we track it, what's the corrective behaviour? And that's been a key learning as we've opened the park. When we first built Urban Surf in Melbourne, you didn't really see, until you had all your customers coming in, there were some things that we had to learn along the way. You know, you try to identify as much as you can as a team, but you're quite close to the business. Nothing beats that customer feedback because they're coming in with the fresh eyes. So it's a combination of those team, those key roles, having targets and a culture that backs up that whole process, but then making sure you've got the, the system in place to make it, on an ongoing basis and we refresh that constantly and we actually have a risk committee that we work directly to the board with to make sure that they're across the process of we're taking the improvements we do audits we do third-party audits the insurers come in so it's quite rigorous and that, that's definitely an approach that's very important from my perspective that's amazing thanks for all that detail and i think that's going to be very valuable for some of our other operators including in the u.s to hear that it's it's not by accident. You spend a lot of time and effort to get that right. But just to recap, you talked about optimizing the workflows. You talked about training and team. You talked about goal setting related to safety. So that's impressive. And I hope more can learn from your best practices and, and continue to implement that. Specifically on the team side of things, I wanted to bring that back up. You brought up the five values. Could you share more about the five values and what impact that has on the team? Yeah, absolutely. So um, five values, we've got customer stoke. I think that sort of speaks for itself. You know, this is the smiles on the faces of people either entering the park, in the water, out of the water, and everything that goes with that. You know, it's about creating that broad experience. And that, that's an incredibly important one. Obviously, we want to welcome guests of all types and just create that stoke, whoever you are. That's key. Safety's the big one. And I think I've talked about that, you know, taking responsibility for not only our own, but our guests' well-being. And that's across a whole level, you know. So whether it be in the park itself, whether it be the work environment we're in or the, the culture we sort of create from a, a safe perspective is, is really crucial. The next one we have is uh, one team. This is one I throw back to a number of mentors I've had in the past where, you know, we talk about respecting each other, helping each other, supporting each other and achieving a common goal. You know, these are challenging projects to build and operate. There is no question about it, you know, and you have moments where there is some, there's some, there's some tough calls, there's some challenging times, you know, but at the end of the day, we've got to work together. You know, Urban Surf isn't about, for example, me as an individual, even though I'm talking to you here today, 
it is about the team. Without the team, I am nothing. You know, it's it's a big thing I believe in and always have. You know, a, a good leader will always be a massive promoter of the team, and that's something I try to do on a constant basis, you know. The fourth one we have is courage. We're doing something here that is new, is untested, is something that's taking a new step in a culture that's very mature and established in what it is. So there's a degree of courage that comes in with that. Now, how do we make that manifest in the business? So, I mean, it's about new ideas. It's about thinking big. For example, we've just successfully raised the capital for the Sydney project, which, you know, that that was a big piece of work. It's not like we um, we put out the hand and people were throwing cash at us. You know, anything like this, you have to work hard for. Otherwise, you just don't get it. So you're effectively doubling the size of the business in this year in a COVID environment, which there's a bit of courage in that, you know. And for me, the challenge I give to my team is to say, well, look, given that we've achieved that type of thing, don't tell me about how we're going to grow our followers or our engagement on Facebook by 10%. Show me how you're going to create a moment that just makes people go, holy cow, I did not think of that. You know, we've got to be courageous to be able to think that way. So that's really important. You know, the change, the adaptability. Adaptability is an important one as part of courage. We've closed this park in Melbourne six times, Chris, right? So when you reopen that, there's a degree of resilience and adaptability the team has to have. You know, I think that's a courageous sort of thing for people to be able to do. And then the, the last one we have is about being accountable. You know, when we say something, we want to make sure we do it. We want to make sure we do it well. We are open about putting the hand up and saying, you know what, okay, might not have got that right, but let's make sure we get it right going forward. And and that's just any good learning culture, I think, that we have to have that sort of thinking in place. And that particularly is important for things like safety. If we don't hold ourselves accountable, how are we going to make that happen on the ground for the customer? It just doesn't happen. So those five things sort of encapsulate the essence of where we're trying to take the business to. I think we've made some great inroads. We've hired some incredibly talented people and there's some great personalities on the team. As we develop and we mature as a business, it's about making that as just the way we do things around here. And values just become something that's inherent in our DNA. That's amazing. And I'll I'll go out on a limb and say that's the most mature HR and cultural policy of anyone in surf parks (laughs) on a global level. So, I mean, really, really strong. And and I'm stoked. (laughs) Got me fired up from that. That's awesome. No, that's great. And that's important too. If I I can't express it to you and you walk away thinking, oh, yeah, I kind of get it, then the values aren't right, you know, And, and that's something that's really important as well. Yeah, that's amazing. And and thank you so much for taking the time for today. I know you've got about a million things to do. So I'll wrap up with a final question, which is looking towards the future. And specifically, what's got you most excited, let's say, in the next five years? For us, Chris, I mean, look, we, we certainly have ambitions of a few locations. We've had some great conversations with different developers as well that would like us to get involved in their projects on different levels. That, to me, is really exciting. So what I'm seeing is going from this sort of one park, we went through the wars, we you know, we picked up a few scars along the way, but some great learnings, is that we're now in a place where we're having conversations with a broader community that is the surf park industry about what that looks like. So I'd love to be in a place where we have three, four surf parks or we're operating parks, you know, because we want to apply that customer experience that we've learned and, and are passionate about to other locations, you know, whether it be our own developed sites or, or someone else's developed site, you know, so that's particularly important. But I think, you know, taking that five-year view, I think if we're working together and collaborating and continuing to improve the dialogue, just like through our conversations like this, the surf park industry is a really crazy, fun, new, scary space to be part of, you know. So that to me is what's really exciting because whilst I have my days where I go, oh, my gosh, that is scary, 
I'm also super excited by that, you know. So I think it's a combination of those elements that will keep people like us sort of inspired to say, all right, we're, what are we doing next, you know, and what's the next challenge? Let's go, you know, and, and staying pumped about it the whole time. I love it. Living the values right then and there. <laughs> so exciting. So, well, thank you so much for taking the time for this. I know all of our listeners are going to really appreciate it. Where can they come to learn more about Urban Surf and the upcoming projects? Yeah, we've definitely got our website, so urbansurf.com.au. We have, we're, you know, we're on Facebook and the social media. Uh, we post on things like LinkedIn as well. You know, that those business relationships, that type of connection is important to us. Other than that, hopefully we can just get people to come and visit and then we can personally tell people about it. But, you know, that might be a little bit of time away. But I, I think that's that's a key thing. And, and look, I'm certainly open to having conversations. You know, it doesn't matter what your position is. You should never be in a place where you can't talk to interested people or guests about what you're trying to deliver. You know, that really is uh, an important thing to still be able to do regardless. Well, very exciting. We'll have folks check out the uh, Instagram, a link to everything we talked about and the website in our show notes. And again, just want to say thank you for taking the time to, to chat today and onwards. Yes. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Great to catch up, mate. Hey everyone, here's Chris again. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. For those of you who want more information on surf parks and the topics covered in these episodes, Surf Park Central's Insider Membership might be for you. Insiders are people serious about surf parks and the organizations they represent. You can join Insiders for a monthly membership fee and rewatch all the surf park summits that have ever happened. You can get transcripts, access to research reports and white papers, even see webinars with special guests like those who visit us on this podcast. So check out surfparkcentral.com slash insiders to learn more about this exclusive professional community for surf parks. Check it out, surfparkcentral.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do leave us a review if you like what you hear. It really helps us to get the word out, get featured, and get more people to listen in. Also, please check out our website, beyondoceanpodcast.com. 